1: That's right. Another week and the draft is just eight days away from the time we are recording this as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 53. At the top of this week's show we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with former Eagle linebacker Ike Reese. He joins the show to talk about the transition from college to the NFL as a player. We talk about the on field and the off field implications for all of these players when they get drafted next week and how they'll fit in at the next level. After that, I chat with Ike about blitzing as a linebacker, and he gives some great stories about his playing days during practice. So you don't want to miss any of that. After Ike checks out, we wrap this show up with Saturday scouting like we do each and every week. Alex Smith and I are going to look at former Eagles first-round pick Marcus Smith. This is going to be a big year for Marcus here in Jim Schwartz's attack defense. Let's see how he looked coming out of Louisville back in 2014. We've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. I caught up with Ike Reese to talk about the task of transitioning to the NFL as a rookie. Let's get things rolling with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me this week on Chalk Talk, Eagles game plan analyst and former Eagles linebacker Ike Reese. Ike, it's been a while. Appreciate you joining me here once again here on the Eagle Island Scott podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Franny. Always enjoyed, brother. Absolutely. Well, it's it's draft week almost. We're a week away from the NFL draft. And I think I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was something that I think fans don't necessarily think about when you're transitioning players from the college level to the NFL. because. You know, we, We're talking about all the top prospects, and Joey Bosa, and Miles Jack, and DeForest Buckner, obviously the quarterback, Zeke Elliott. We know what they can do physically, but there's this mental side of the game. A couple weeks ago, I had Ross Tucker on, and we talked about upside and what it takes to meet upside for, for a certain prospect uh, you know, on and off the field. What is that transition like when you're, trans- when you're moving from college to the NFL? It's not just, oh yeah, you know what, uh, I'm going to come in, I'm going to drop my bags, here's the new scheme, okay, I'm going to take the new scheme and now I'm going to go play. Well, there are so many other things that go into it.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's stuff that pertains to on the field, being prepared to play in the NFL, and adjusting to being a professional athlete. Yeah. I mean, you go from uh, really not having many bills and things of that nature to take care of in college to now you're basically taking care of yourself. And I, I think that sort of slows the process for a rookie as far as whether or not he can produce on the field because there are so many other facets of being a professional athlete, new city, really not having a clue. The other thing, when you go from high school to college, you sort of choose where you're going. So you have an idea of where you're going. You even get prepared uh, to go because some people commit a year early, two years early. Well, with the NFL or any other professional league when you draft amateur players, when well, you're waiting on that draft day, you don't know if you're going to be on the East Coast, the West Coast, and the South, and the Northeast. You know, am I going from playing in Florida to now in Green Bay, where now I got to get adjusted to cold weather? That's only part of it. And then when you talk about on the field, I mean, the speed of the game, I mean, the detail that goes into studying, whether it's offense or defense, I mean, it's such so, so much more complex than what you see at the college level. Yeah. I mean, it makes your head spin. I, I, I you know, when I see rookies come in and they're producing early in the season through training camp and it goes through the regular season, I'm amazed by that. I can remember the coverage that we played on defense, it was called automatic fronts coverage, an okay. AFC package Emmett Thomas, that was his defense, and the design of the defense was he would call Automatic front coverage, okay? So as a defense, when the offense come out, we were going to play the defense based on what personnel was in the game and what the formation was.
1: So just the deployment of the receivers, if it was like three by one, two by two? Now a different defense is being called. Yeah, gotcha, okay.
0: So I got guys like Mike Zordich and, and, and Willie T, two of the smartest guys out there. I mean, I'm hearing these calls, and I'm saying, Okay, did we just switch to another defense? <laughs> like, like, what are we doing here? Right. And I had never done that before, so I mean, it's extensive. Uh, it, it to me, it's no wonder that rookies struggle to excel, particularly mm-hmm. early in their first year. You see, most rookies start to play better second half of the yeah. season. It just takes a long time for you to really grasp everything conceptually that has to do with on the field play. What
1: What do you? And obviously, it's a case by case basis, mm-hmm. but. What do you think is harder? Do you think the on-field or the off-field is harder for most rookies in your experience to to kind of take in as they adjust to the NFL?
0: You know what? I would t- wow. Wow, that, that that's a good question because there there are, there are rookies who struggle with managing money off the field sure, or yeah. time off the field, things of that nature. Uh and on the field, I think a lot of it has to depend on where you were drafted, what the expectations are for mm-hmm. you that year, and like say if you're a first, second round draft pick, they expect you to come in and play early. And Now the the uh, demands on you to know the offense or the defense are much greater than say a guy like myself. Take myself for example, I was right. a fifth round draft pick when I came in. Right. I love Joe Fit Joe Vitt, who was my linebacker coach at the time. Him and Emmett Thomas, they told me flat out in training camp. Uh, the defense is secondary to you. We need you to be ready to play special teams. Yep. We have starters on defense. You're not going to be one of them. Right. Just make sure you keep up with the stuff. But your primary role is going to be special teams. My draft mate, Jeremiah Trotter, was a third-round draft pick who they were looking to possibly compete for the starting middle linebacker job. Right. So it was more pressure on Trotter in training camp to know the defense, to not make mistakes when you're out there. He's yeah. running with the first team sometimes. He's with the second team. Whereas myself, it wasn't as much pressure on me to know the defense and be ready to perform as it was you take these special teams units and make them yours. Yeah. So depending on where you're drafted, can also depend on how much expectations are placed on you.
1: So, when, and you don't have to name names, but mm-hmm. uh, when when you, when you played, and rookies would come in, new rookie has come in, and you'd have high expectations, low expectations, medium expectations for some of these players. Would you be able to know as a player, right away as a teammate, and you look at a guy after you know a week, two weeks, a month, say? this guy's going to struggle oh, he's yeah he's going to need a lot of time.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm glad you said don't name names because <laughs> <laughs> a couple guys was, just popped we, right we, to we my went head. Yeah. Went under the bus. Yeah. yeah, a couple guys popped right to my head, but you, it's exactly right. You, you sort of see because, first of all, you think back to where you were at that time. Yeah. So you're saying, okay, I know I went through those same mistakes and I made those. So unless he comes in and he's not making those mistakes, meaning he's picking the stuff up yeah. fast, you're gonna you're gonna know right off the bat that yeah, this guy not in many camps, in training camp because it's different. You only get you get sort of the one on one version of the offense or the defense in OTAs. When you get to training camp, the coaches and the coordinators start to put on a little bit more. There's a lot more responsibility, and now your head is spinning. So when you see mistakes over and over and over again, and the coordinator is getting upset, yeah, you you know he's not going to be ready to go because all it takes is one or two preseason games for the rest of the guys in the, in, in the meeting room to say he's not ready yet.
1: How often did guys show up that weren't ready, how often did those guys actually turn it around and become something in their career? Or was it more of a case where a guy showed up, he wasn't ready, and he really just never got it?
0: I will tell you, it's probably more cases where guys didn't get it early, and then they started to get it later. Okay. And that's why I use Trotter because it, it's it's in a when I use Trotter as an example of that time, it's because I was more impressed with how he bounced back from his rookie year and became a five time Pro Bowler. Yeah. you know, considering where he was his rookie year, and so I think he's a prime example of what you just brought up is that he struggled early, but then it started to click for him. It started to click for him. He played much better. I think when you get higher draft picks. They don't show early. Sometimes it depends on why aren't they showing. Is it yeah. because of preparation? Is it because they're enjoying the nightlife or being an NFL player? Or are they struggling because maybe they come from a program that wasn't as extensive as this is, yeah. and it's just taking them a little time to get it. So, But I would say it's more guys that turn it around if they're higher picks than our guys that just come in and they never get any better
1: that's the thing and you brought up like the the, you know the more time and when people look at draft prospects that have character issues uh you know in college well what's going to happen when you give this guy more time more money more responsibility more more to lose but he's got instead of going to class and having to go to study hall and he's got to go bed check and all all these things that he's got to deal with in a football season in college now it's you come into work, you come in, you go through walkthrough, you meet, have meetings, you practice, you eat lunch, maybe another meeting, and then you're gone. You're done, yeah. And then you've got your nights, you've got your you know uh, your days off. I mean, it's a lot of free time for players that you know they have to kind of account for, especially if they're by themselves in a, new, in a new city, a new region of the country.
0: Totally agree. If you're in a big city, like ours here in Philadelphia, sometimes you go to a small town, it may, it may benefit you, yeah. Buffalo, Green Bay, or what have you. But you go to a big city, bright lights. Uh, you're a young, quote-unquote, millionaire now. You're a professional athlete. Everybody knows who you are, and, yeah, it, it, it is difficult. It, it is difficult, and I think a lot of players do struggle with that, and that's why for a team, obviously, background checks are important. Yep. Talking to coaches uh, that coached them in college, figuring out what their study habits were, how were they as a student, Uh, Did they take these things serious? You know, what role do they play on the team? Captain versus just a guy being on the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where the teams do all their homework, and that's where it's important. And sometimes you can get sort of enamored with that talent level, and you overlook things, and that's what makes it hard being a scout or an evaluator of these guys because I'll tell you this also, friend. You can also have a kid. That didn't have any of those issues, there weren't flags for him in college, yeah, but now all of a sudden, newfound fame and fortune can turn you into a totally different person than what you were in college so uh you know these guys have difficult jobs trying to project what a twenty two year old is going to be like for the next three or four or five years, and the biggest thing is, do you still have the hunger and the drive that you displayed to put you in this position? Sure. Once you've achieved your dream, which is being drafted, do you still have that same hunger and drive?
1: One of your former teammates is now with the Eagles. It's Quentin Michael, Mm -hmm. and he's here now in a a role as the director of player development. Did they have a position like that when you were were coming up and someone that could deal with the players and almost like an an off the field and just kind of coach them along and be there to kind of guide them through just the whole process?
0: The title might have been different, but it's funny that you ask that because in our rookie year was the first year, Harold Carmichael okay. was in his That's position okay, cool. as pretty much that player developmental guy. And, I mean, if you knew anything about the Eagles prior to being drafted here, how do you not know who Harold Carmichael is? He's one of the greatest Eagles of all time. So uh, I can remember Harold being our guy. And the Rookie Symposium was my rookie year, too, I believe.
1: Okay,
0: And so he took us out there, and he's in charge of all of our rookie class, And, you know, he's trying to lay, you know, explain to us the lay of the land and and what it's like being in the NFL, things that you're going to go through, things you need to be prepared for on the field and off the field. But it was so new. Some of us heeded those words of advice. Some of us didn't, just like with everyone else. Um, But I think the Eagles, I don't know how many other teams were doing it, but I know the Eagles that year, they were certainly ahead of the curve. We had him there. And I think that's why. We haven't had a ton of all the field stuff with with, with the Eagles organization. Yeah. you get some here and there, of but course. for the most part, for the most part, uh, I think they've had the right people in place that and so you always got to bring the right kids in that are willing to listen
1: yeah
0: and take that advice. So Harold was our guy, uh, we gave him a hard time, <laughs> but I still talk to him to this day, man, trying to get those sage words of advice because listen. The sooner you know that you don't know everything, the better off you're going to be. Well,
1: that's, I think that's one of the things that a lot of rookies just don't know. They don't yeah. know what they don't know. <laughs> yeah, they don't um, know what they don't th- know. Uh, for fans, and look, every team in the NFL has busts. You look at, I mean, the the New England Patriots just cut Dominique Easley a couple a couple yep. uh, weeks ago. He was their first-round pick in 20, 2015, 2014, 2015. 2014, a couple, 10, years, believe, a couple yeah. years ago, he was their first-round pick, uh, and he's gone. You know, and So every team has busts. What what is the the one thing you if you to close this out to give to fans and say look, give it a break, give them a break a little bit. It's a, it's tough to kind of project some of these guys to the league.
0: Oh man, I, I go through this a lot on the radio show, man. This guy can't draft bus. and I'm like every team draft bust. Every I mean, it happens all the time. Every team has it. Yep. I would tell the fan base, you look at a person's track record first of all when you're talking about that, and then when you look at just the players in particular, right. What really defines a bust? What's expectations that's been placed on him based on where he's been drafted? Okay, well, if I draft a guy in the first round, what makes him a bust? Because he doesn't become a pro bowler or an all-pro? Well, if the guy is a starter for you and he's there playing, just because he isn't a quote-unquote special player, I don't think that makes him a bust. So I think think that title or that label gets thrown out there a lot and me being a former player – uh, I think it's unfair yep. you know, for, for players that work as hard as they do to get here to be labeled a bus based on your expectations, yep. meaning fans or some media people. Um, I, I would say it's unfair to the athlete. I think it's unfair to the athlete. I call a guy a bus, or I consider a guy a bus, who doesn't try. Yeah. I consider a guy a bus who just wants to take the money and run right. and doesn't want to put forth the work or the effort. guy gets injured. Or something unfortunate happens, I, I don't, I don't yeah. consider that guy bit of a bust. So
1: you, you think, like, uh, in terms of the unfair expectation, a guy, one of your former teammates, mm-hmm. it was Mike Mamula. Yeah. Who obviously, look, the the Eagles traded up. They took Mamula ahead of some very talented players some yep. Hall, yep. of future Hall of Famers. Yeah. Mamula actually wasn't even a, a bad player in terms of, uh, you know, the impact that he had on the team. Now, was he Warren Sapp?
0: And that's no, what happens. That's yes. what
1: it is. He and, wasn't Warren Sapp.
0: And, and that's what it is. So this narrative starts to get formed and I'm saying, well, I was teammates with MoMo for years and he played for 6 7 years <laughs> yeah, like right. you can't really be a bust if you if you played and you know and you contributed and you produced when you were out there but it's when you get compared to whomever was drafted behind you or yep. maybe another player from the same position was drafted sure. and so what well, really it is it's it's the fans or media being upset that you didn't get the other guy yep. versus this guy. So, you know, being a former player, I get it. I've even used the term myself at times. But I'll tell you this. I consider a guy bust like a Ryan Leaf. Sure. That, that's that's the type of guy or yeah. Jamarcus Russell. Right. Yeah, no a guy like that. Guys who don't try. Guys right. who just, they got the big signing bonus and they never cared anymore. And I was teammates with Mike Mamula. He had uh, hey, injuries, serious injuries at time or what have you. It wasn't as if the guy didn't put forth the effort yeah. and, and try. So, you know, but fans are fans, and that's why they're fans. That's right. Well, like
1: before I let you go, you know it every single week on this show, I like to talk with a current or former player about a certain position-specific area of the position that they play. Let's get to that now in Two Technique.
0: Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique.
1: All right, Ike, so today I want to talk to you about blitzing as a linebacker and really the art of blitzing. And, you know, we've talked to you about so many different facets of the linebacker position over the course of the last year or so. Let's talk about getting after the quarterback. When you played, did you want to hit more with speed or did you want to hit it more with power when you power. were trying to hit the gap? You were more a power guy.
0: Well, no, you know what? Let me go back there. All right. Let all me right. go back. Let me go back. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second real quick. So let, I didn't have I'll, a whole lot of power in my little 225 pound <laughs> frame. Well, so now you
1: speed was my thing, and you lined up off the edge sometimes mm-hmm. too. If you're coming through the A gap or if you're coming through the B gap, did you approach that in a lot of different ways yeah. that, as if you were coming off the edge? Oh, no
0: doubt about it, because okay. it's, it's more traffic in there. Yeah. At least on the outside, I know I got one guy I got to worry about getting around. You can start running that A gap and that B gap. You had better buckle that chin strap up tight and be ready and be prepared with your pads down. So when I'm hitting. That A-gap, which I blitzed a lot. I, you know, Jim Johnson, some of his blitzes had you go be the sacrificial lamb in an A-gap for somebody else to come in there and, and and open it up for them. So when I'm going in an A-gap, it's speed, but it's more you better use power because I'm going up against bigger guys. Yeah. And I I, it's, I can't avoid guys in the A-gap. I got to go in there. If I'm on the outside – I want to use my speed to get around you. I don't want you getting your hands on me at all. So my asset is my speed. Let me get up the field. You're 300-something-plus pounds. Yeah, I can, You're going to be a lot more nervous about me running around you because I'm not running into you bull rushing. But that A-gap, yeah, it, when, when Jim would call one of those blitzes where I knew I was going in the A-gap, and this is a true story, I would have to do the whole uh, little, like, yeah, before anybody saw me, like, okay, don't don't get me killed, don't, don't, I'm like, don't get killed when you run up in there, man, don't get killed. Uh,
1: Well, so, how much of it, when you, obviously, look, you had to worry about so many other things, did you have to work with your hands in terms, did you, how many, how many moves did you have in your arsenal in terms of attacking running backs or offensive linemen when you went to, uh, to blitz quarterback?
0: Lineman versus the running back or tight end if yeah. he happened to be on the line. Lineman, because they're so much bigger, I felt like I had to have speed. Okay. And I used to work with Trey Thomas all the time after practice because he wanted he wanted somebody to speed okay. rush around him so they did get him prepared sure. as well. So that was my speed thing. Uh, I would do that for the outside, work with Tommy Brazier. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't even remember, Fran, 1999, Hugh Douglas goes down in the second or third week of the season. Guess who's the pass rusher for us on third down? (laughs) My narrow self. So I I used to have to go down with the D linemen and work on pass rushing stuff. And Tommy would tell me, when Hollis would be in there trying to teach me stuff on the inside, you know, Tommy would be like, Ike, don't worry about that stuff. Keep your narrow butt on the outside and use your <laughs> speed on the outside. There you go. But I had fun working with those guys on hand stuff, on being able to rip through uh, 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 reach blocks and things of that nature. And, you know, even though I didn't get to use it, you know. Trying to the, the art of the surprise of the bull rush. Yeah, sure. So when the lineman is not expecting it, he thinks yeah. you're going speed. You, go speed you can hit him right up right. under that chin. Absolutely. And bull rush him. And you know who was great at that? Derek Burgess.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, he, he was great at that.
0: So absolutely. A lot of different pass rushing techniques or what have you that I would get the privilege of learning them, but the speed thing on the outside was where I needed to be.
1: Last question, then I let you go. Watch a lot of college linebackers, and you see you know, some guys have great explosive ability in a short area. Some guys are really skilled with their hands, but they're still not outstanding blitzers mm-hmm. because their timing's not great. How big was that for you in terms of timing uh, in all the different blitz packages?
0: Oh, timing is huge. Timing is huge, A, because you don't want to tip the blitz. B, and it wasn't until Peyton Manning started with all his n- nonsense <laughs> back in the day where he would get defenses to tip their blitzes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Timing was everything. You had to study the film first, right? So if you know this is the quarterback who uses the long cadence, you know, this is back in the day when they would get finished with their cadence, they would lift their foot up to to signal they were ready to go. Well, that's when you start to creep. When you yep. see that quarterback lift that foot up to signal to the center that he's ready to go, then, that, then that's where you go. Here's the other thing that young linebackers from college struggle with. And college – you're often the best athlete. You're, you're, you're just better than the other guy at yeah. times if you're, if you're good enough to play at this level. When you get to this level, everybody's good. The first thing I had to learn was that you had better have a counter move. Right. Yep. So if you go speed, okay, what happens when he picks you up? Well, you better have a spin move or something off of that. Whatever your first move is, there better be a counter move in the NFL.
1: It's, uh, it's funny you bring that up, and I, that was the last thing I was going to ask you. Shaleek Calhoun, He's a former Michigan State Spartan. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing he does really, really yes. well. He, he, he knows how to counter once he's initially blocked. I Reese, Appreciate the time, as always, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky
0: podcast. It's always my pleasure, Franny.
1: Great stuff from Ike, and again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Ike58Reese, and be sure to follow me at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that gets produced here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and I know I really appreciate everybody out there that promotes this podcast on social media. We've got a ton more to get into. It's that time. Let's wrap the show up with Saturday Scouting.
0: It's time for Saturday Scouting.
1: All right, B, you caught up. All right, this week for Saturday Scouting, I welcome back in the guy who needs no introduction. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. He writes tons of content here for PhiladelphiaEagles.com, one, Alex Smith. Alex, welcome back.
2: The joke is going to wear off
1: eventually. Eventually, I don't know. it's going to get worn out. But, I don't know if it uh, will.
2: Uh, very happy to be here, friend, as always.
1: Uh, absolutely. Well, today we we're going to talk about Marcus Smith. And I know you're very excited about Marcus Smith and I what am. his potential can be moving forward. Uh, what gives you so much excitement? Uh, Just because I think that, you know,
2: it's kind of he hasn't shown it on the field yet, but I really do believe that he's been working hard. I think he's been working hard behind the scenes. We saw a a little bit of that flash in that last game against the New York Giants last season. Uh, And then with Jim Schwartz coming in, that attack style that everybody's been talking about, getting him back at that defensive end position, which is where he played. I think his first three years in college is what he said in the locker room when we had a media availability the other day. Um, getting back to doing what he's used to doing, just going and getting the quarterback. Um, I, I just, I really think that signs are pointing to this being uh, his breakout year, and I think Eagles fans are, are are waiting for that to happen for sure.
1: And he's always been that guy that like you, you always say, like that walk off the bus team. Where uh, as soon as you see you see him in person, you say, man, that guy looks like he's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I saw him in line at the cafeteria the other day. Like I was in line, I'm getting ready to get my sandwich from Tim, our, our, our head chef, <laughs> and I and Marcus is ahead of me, and I just look and I'm like. he's got long arms like he's well built like he Mm -hmm. just looks like he's ready to take the next step and he always has and and Uh, i
2: i I certainly think that he's been working on himself physically as well not just on you know his technique and things like that but he was uh, doing
1: MMA with Jay Glazer right, right this this offseason
2: right. yeah and he always goes and works with uh, Chuck Smith out in Arizona right. in the offseason who you know works with some of the best pass rushers from around the NFL so um and you can see it with him like you said you can see that he's getting bigger he's getting stronger and I think that was one of the criticisms in his rookie season here in the NFL uh that he needed to get a little bit bigger but uh I think we're seeing that happen
1: yeah no question about it. all right well let's let's get to my notes on Marcus coming out of Louisville okay. back in 2014 uh 6033 so 63 and three eighths 251 pounds a high school quarterback that moved to the defensive side of the ball with the cardinals and he lined up everywhere in their hybrid defensive front In any one game in 2013 you may have seen him lined up as a three-point defensive end in four down packages as a rush linebacker in a two-point stance lined up off the ball in a stack formation or even as a three technique defensive tackle in situational sub packages and I I remember thinking like he was one of the hardest players to watch just because every play he was lined up somewhere different (laughs) in that defense so it's always tough to to watch guys like that because you're always looking to find it's a where's Waldo situation (laughs) but uh all right back to the notes displayed a good burst off the ball and his test numbers reflected that at the combine a good athlete for the position that showed good balance and quickness and typically he played fast as a pass rusher, he won with a variety of pass rush moves, including the hand swipe, the spin move, a swim move, as well as a speed and a bull rush. He showed good bend off the edge with his ability to run the hoop and accelerate on his way to the quarterback. And- That trait is obviously one that a lot of guys are able to win with in the NFL. It's a rare trait, but if you have it, it really can serve you well at the NFL level, although you do need more. He showed that he had some pass rush moves in -hmm. his toolbox during his time with the Cardinals. All right, back to the notes. In the run game, he used his length well, showed that he could use his hands to fend off linemen on the move. He had some pop in his hands, and he flashed the ability to ragdoll offensive linemen at the college level. Actually, I wrote down I saw him do it repeatedly in this past year's game against Kentucky, in coverage, he showed that he could carry tight ends down the field in man or drop back in zone and handle the hook, curl, and flat areas. so was experienced in working in space, and he flashed a good motor, made some plays in pursuit on tape. Sounds pretty good. I Actually, I remember so liking so Marcus good. Smith. Now, in terms of the negatives... As a pass rusher, he flashes a lot of different pass rush moves, but you want to see him start to string them together and show that he can counter once initially blocked. Mm-hmm. So that, and I call that that pass rush plan, the pass rush skill. He definitely wanted to, needed to develop that coming out of Louisville. I want to see him do a better job finishing tackles both in the backfield and in the flats coming down from depth. While he showed the ability to play in coverage, he looked far more comfortable getting after the quarterback than he did moving in reverse. Not a player that you'd want playing in space too often as a coverage player. Overall, I wrote he was an extremely versatile edge player with pass rush, coverage, and run scheme potential. He may not ever be great at any one thing, but is a jack-of-all-trades type. I thought he'd be a nice second- or third-rounder, and I remember that day it was the day of the first round of the draft that mm-hmm. year in 2014, and Phil Savage went on Twitter. He was the director of the three-senior ball, former GM of the of the Cleveland Browns, was with the Baltimore Ravens, was with the Eagles the year mm-hmm. before this, actually. And he said that he was hearing rumors about two senior bowl players going in the first round that people weren't expecting. And when I heard that it was Marcus Smith, I had nothing. I had no idea that he was you know potentially going to be the Eagles. I thought, you know what, it's not that surprising to me. No one had been t- – told. basically, Marcus Smith, that whole draft process was – that guy that everyone said, oh, man, if you can get him in the third round, that would be a great steal, like you know, you can get great value in the third mm-hmm. round. It wasn't that surprising to me to hear you know, at, at, we'll say, 11 a.m., the, the morning of day one of the draft, uh, that he may sneak into round one. Look, it, it has not worked out for him so far, but I, I think in this scheme, and I actually read it, I, I was excited to say I thought that he'd be a better fit moving forward just as a D and let him focus on rushing the passer I'm excited to see him take on that role in this new Jim Schwartz defensive scheme. Yeah, you mentioned that he could kind of be that jack-of-all-trades kind of
2: player, and I think that's what Jim Schwartz wants to do with his defensive line. When it's third and long and he can bring in that that sub-package where we could see four defensive ends on the field at the same time, lining them up on the inside, moving them out wide, Uh, I really think that's a situation where, where Marcus Smith could thrive. But when I listen to your notes, I'm curious what your thoughts are. When you watch his tape now with the Eagles, his struggles have they been more just the jump to the NFL level and the rise in talent against him, or is it more technique and he he needs to define those pass rush moves?
1: Well, look, I and mean, we I just got done talking about with Ike was you know the the difference between the college level and the NFL. It's a, you know in terms of play speed and there's so many different things that you have to worry about. You know I haven't talked with Marcus about this exact topic. That could be part of it, and mm. that certainly is a part of it for a lot of players. He talked about the issues that Jeremiah Trotter had when he first got to the NFL. Uh, you know, I think that that's part of it. Scheme may be a part. Obviously, look playing as an outside linebacker in a three-four with all yeah. the different responsibilities that he has. You know, that that changes things for for a defensive player. Now he was asked to do a ton right. at Louisville, so right. maybe they thought, okay, look, he's got the ability to to handle a lot. Let's throw a lot at him. I'm I'm really intrigued though in the, in this scheme where hey, all he's got to worry about is. Get, get forward, you know, attack, get after the quarterback, I think that he could thrive. I do think that the
2: Eagles put a lot on his plate, too, uh, during his first couple seasons. Because if you remember, you know, is he going to be a DN? Then he gets moved to outside linebacker. He even got moved to inside inside linebacker for a little bit there just because the Eagles were so, you know, the depth was so weak at that position due to different injuries that the team had. Uh, So, you know, his mind's bouncing back and forth. He's, you know, talking to all these different coaches, all these different positional meetings. If he can start this season with Jim Schwartz and and Chris Wilson, uh, who I think is a really, really good defensive line coach, those are two guys who can get his motor going. They They can light a fire under him. Um... And, again, it's kind of a make-or-break year, but I really think that those two coaches can get the best out of Marcus Smith.
1: No question. Well, uh, we covered a lot in today's podcast. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. And thanks very much to Ike Reese and to Alex and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play. You guys know the list by now. And, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you very much. And, again, if you get the time, go on, rate the show, let us know what you think, and we will keep making the show better each and every week. For Alex, I'm Fran. We'll catch you next week.